This week on the Rotten or Righteous podcast, we ask the question, what if it was a car accident involving two small Mini Coopers filled with clowns? <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> I guess the, the glitter and all that everywhere that would be... Make it it'd be a strange juxtaposition. Um, so your your argument is there. Uh, sorry, sorry. Your argument is there. It would be hard not to be entertained by that. I'm just saying. He said not that car accidents are entertaining. I agree, except when clowns are involved. <laughs> and Mini Coopers. Hello and welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, the only show that supports common sense podcast laws and background checks to keep podcasts like ours off the street. Luke can't be here today because he finally found something better to do, so sitting in is a former guest host and our good friend. He's a poor man's Luke Taylor, but a rich man's Scott Judge. It's Andrew Beasley. Don't ever let him give you a hat and put back the scissors. It's Scott Judge. And me? <laughs> and me? Well, I brought six berries and a piece of... <laughs> oh my God. Dang it, I'm so close to getting through that. And me? Well, I brought six berries and a piece of jerky for each of us. I'm Zach Geiler. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! The movie opens with a father carrying his bleeding daughter in a hospital. They were just involved in a bad accident. The little girl's name is Faith because if it was anything else, they wouldn't be able to say phrases like, I lost my faith or where's my faith, or I found my faith throughout the rest of the movie. Dr. Rick, whose wife is having a baby at the hospital at the time, rushes to Faith's rescue and then confusingly asks the dad, whose name is Jack, out of nowhere, how much he's had to drink today. He's not slurring his words. He's not stumbling around. All he's doing is trying to get his little girl some help. And then the doctor comes up, hey, how much you been drinking today? As far as you know, nothing. How would you stick in your lane there, Doc? And then security comes over, and security comes in the form of a 12-year-old looking man-child in a police costume, and he threatens to arrest Jack for leaving the scene of an accident to save his daughter, which makes no sense. So you're telling me that if my son is gravely injured in an automobile accident, but somehow I have the ability to get him to a hospital i'm going to be charged with a hit and run no you're not i'll tell you that straight up you will not be charged with a hit and run but that's the premise this movie wants you to believe so this follows uh jack and doogie hauser pd scuffling which results in jack grabbing the cop's gun but don't worry nobody is in any danger whatsoever because the prop gun clearly does not have a barrel but they sure do act like that barrelless gun is real, and Jack is apprehended. The scene fades with Jack screaming, 
I can't lose my faith. Such, uh, such clever wordplay, faith-based movie. Such clever wordplay. And then we see the asinine title, The Reliant. Who's The Reliant? I don't know. That's never brought up. I think it was made around the same time as The Revenant, and they said, hey, that Leonardo DiCaprio Bear movie did pretty good. Maybe we should call it something with an R name. After the title screen, the movie makes a seven-year time, time jump. A seven-year time jump. We see a bad teenage actress flipping through a bridal magazine. Her name's Sophie. Sophie is engaged to a bad-acting 20-something fiancé named Adam, and he wants to look at the bridal magazine, but Sophie says, mm no way, mister. This is a quote from the movie. No way, mister. The first time you're going to see me in my wedding dress is when I'm walking down the aisle. At this point, Adam should have said, okay, I just wanted to look at the magazine, which you are not in, so your objection literally makes no sense. However, this movie's dumb, so instead he nuzzles her like a cat for a while and they giggle. While this is happening, two of Rick's sons, Jimmy, the oldest, and the younger Eli, are playing chess. As they're playing, the news is broadcasting about some riot that's happening because of the collapse of the dollar. But they live in small-town Zanesville, Ohio, so they should be safe. No, I'm pretty sure you're still unsafe if you go to Zanesville, Ohio today. Don't get me wrong, Zanesville is a Zanesville is a beautiful town. It gets sunlight four hours a day because it's in, in, literally in a giant hole. When you see the sun there, it's beautiful. Nice old churches. But you don't drive through that town going, huh, I feel pretty safe here. Now you drive through that town like the Griswolds, roll them up. <laughs> the two chess players are eventually fetched by the youngest of Rick's brood, Faith. No relation from the Faith uh, in the beginning of the movie. Look, actually, no, there is. Look, I'm not going to respect the quote-unquote twist that this movie tries to pull because it's horrible. Because they call her Faith 487 times before the end of the movie, so we know her name is Faith. And unless we are mentally challenged, we're, we're not supposed to go, Huh, that's the same name as the girl from the beginning of the movie. Seven years earlier. <laughs> so, yeah, Rick... Rick's faith was the kid that was born in the hospital the day Jack brought in his hurt daughter, whose also name was Faith, but the first Faith dies. It's dumb. Anyway, Faith number two tells Jimmy that it's time to celebrate his birthday. And Rick gives Jimmy, you know, just one of those typical birthday presents, a high-powered sniper rifle. Now, this upsets Sophie because she's the family's token liberal, but... They aren't going to worry about Sophie's feelings because America. Then Adam, Jimmy, and Rick head out to the local gun shop to pick up some ammo to go to the range. Now listen, fellas, I've bought several guns in my life. I have never once ever bought a gun and then didn't buy a few boxes of ammo to go along with said gun while I was there. Why do you think a guy like Rick would neglect to buy ammo when he paid for his rifle? I think the answer is so the movie can happen. Eventually, Sophie takes revenge on his dad and brother by hiding the gun safe's bronze key. How do I know it's a bronze key? Because that's what they refer it to, at, or that's how they refer to it 400 times in this movie. The bronze key. Not the key. The bronze key. And she puts it in her jewelry box. 
So the men folk make it to the gun shop as a riot is breaking out. Luckily, they're able to buy their ammo before the looters use a dirt bike to break into the gun shop's or break through the gun shop's glass doors. I just think it's dumb that they're using a dirt bike to break down a glass door. They had 47,000 trucks out there. Why didn't one of them say, hey, uh, uh, why don't you just let me drive my F-150 through this door? No, 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 I got a Kawasaki 60cc. I'm going to do I'll take care of it. And I, I, I do not understand. The movie does not tell us who these people are. They don't tell us what their motivation is other than that something happened to the dollar. And it shouldn't surprise you that this film is literally sponsored by the NRA and a self-defense insurance company. But I can only assume that the mob that's breaking into the gun shop is one of those famous redneck biker liberal mobs that you hear about on the news all the time. I mean, don't get me wrong. If they were like a bunch of college students or whatever, I'd get it. You know, you've got Antifa and all those people. But these are not Antifa members. These are like... They got a bunch of extras from a Larry the Cable Guy stand-up show and said, hey, can you come over here and act real angry for a while? Anyway, Dr. Rick is packing heat, so he pulls it out and just starts shooting people, along with the owners of the gun shop. And as they're blowing people away, they make sure that they say a whole bunch of concealed carry mantras like, protect the people, not the property. I would also like to point out, at this point in time, there's not a single gun among the bad guys. They're brandishing machetes and axes and Molotov cocktails, but none of them have as there's no there's not one gun in that initial mob. <laughs> well, I think the idea is guns are bad, so we can't have our bad guys have gun or, or guns are good, so we can't have our bad guys have guns. But then five minutes or later, they're like, oh oh man, we can't we can't further the plot of this movie unless the bad guys have guns. So we'll give them guns, just not right now. But Rick makes it home and tells his family to pack up, grab their pre-prepared bug-out bags, because they gots to go. Oh, crap. Exactly. Oh, no. I, for- I-, I forgot to record your guys' audio. <laughs> so it's just been you this whole time. Yeah, it's all right. Get your bug-out bags. We gots to go. And then Sophie says, and I quote, But Dad... I'm getting married in 39 days. (laughs) We're going to die. I don't care. What bugged me about that is even when I was like counting down to my wedding day, there is no way in the world that I would have said 39 days. I'd say, you know, dad, I'm getting married in four weeks. But the fact that she has it down to 39 days is ridiculous. And the fact that that's what she's worried about is ridiculous. But the dad says they don't have time to wait 39 days. Zanesville's fallen into chaos. We need to leave now. But they can't leave yet. Because they need to get the guns from the gun case. But there's a problem. They can't find the bronze key. Also, they can't leave because Jimmy needs to get his box of trinkets and his katana. Because of course this terrible actor has a ninja sword. But, uh, you know, Sophie's not telling where the bronze key is. And they don't really have time to worry about it. They hear nearby gunshots. Because the bad guys have guns now. And they decide. The whole whole thing's her fault. Right. None of this would have happened if she wouldn't have been hiding the bronze key. I disagree. 
I think he should have just stopped after none of this would happen. Well, I'm kind of hoping that, you know, that it had the guns and just ended the movie right here. I mean, it'd been short, but it would all have been a lot happier. So, yeah, here near by gunshot, but before they can leave, a car full of looters show up and just start shooting them. Now, the leader of this outlaw group is Jack, the dad from the beginning, and he wants revenge for the doctor not saving his faith. I'm. I shouldn't laugh, but this is so. It's just. It's bad. It's just bad. Well, Doctor Rick is immediately shot and killed. <laughs> and Adam, who's using Jimmy's sniper rifle, tells the kids, Rick's kids, to flee. And they they do, but not before Faith is just capped right in the dome. But luckily, it just grazes her, so she's okay. And Adam and Rick's wife are taken hostage. And Adam, when asked, immediately tells Jack which way his fiance and his future sons, or sons, his future brother and sister-in-laws went. He's just terrible. <sighs> but wait, it gets worse. So, all of the late Dr. Rick's kids are running through the woods. Jimmy is taking the lead, followed by young Eli. The middle daughter, Anna Lee, is behind him, and Sophie is carrying her injured Faith in the rear. We jump to a month later. The kids have erected a teepee in the woods that surrounded their home. And they haven't been discovered by looters yet, because... the only explanation I could come up with. There's nothing more, is there? So, as they gather around the fire in their teepee at night, young Faith is whimpering about her mother. Also, her head wound is clearly still bleeding, and it's been a month. This child should be dead. Just saying, she has an open head wound for a month, guys. Yeah, there's something else going on. I mean, because you're going to heal in that period of time. She needs full medical workup. She may have Listen, some kind of immune deficiency. Something's not right. I may not be a gun-toting, red-blooded pediatrician, but I do know that head wounds should not bleed for a month. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but if there's one thing I know... Your head should clot. But I'll tell you what, Jimmy is just so sick of his injured sister whining. He's tired of it. But Anna Lee sets him straight by saying, Have a heart, Jimmy. Her wound is infected and she misses mom. Uh, we all miss mom. I bet he never <sighs> thought of that. But Jimmy just goes to take watch and hopefully he learns not to scream at his gunshot sister. The next morning, the kids sit down to a feast of six berries and a piece of jerky. When Eli says that he doesn't like jerky, he's lying, because nobody doesn't like jerky. But Eli, little kid, says, I don't like jerky. And Anna Lee just immediately starts preaching a, a prepared sermon about being thankful. 
which is really annoying in light of their circumstances because they're 100 yards from their house. <laughs> they keep going, hey, listen, God will provide. I agree. I agree with that. But if you're going to say God will provide, but you don't get up and actually do something in order to fix that or allow God the opportunity to provide, you can't just, you can't just say, hey, God only wants us to have six berries and a piece of jerky. There's a house full of food, 100 yards away. Go get it. Go get it. That's my biggest problem with this movie is throughout it will quote random verses of scripture, but they apply none of them. (laughs) It is one thing to know the word of God. It is a whole other thing to learn and live the word of God, which these kids are not doing. But after Anna Lee finishes her sermon and gives uh, an invitation, Jimmy mocks his sister for her belief and then says that they should go back to their house. Good thinking, Jimmy! In order to get what's in the gun safe. So, Sophie and Jimmy go back to the house and find it ransacked but empty. Uh, They're going through it, and I would like to point out that in a drawer, which only had one washcloth in it, there are also two rats. And you think, well, there should be rats living in a house that's been abandoned. But, Scott, you've been around forever. Um, and a day. Have you ever seen a rat in the wild that is brown and white calico colored? <laughs> nope. How about you, Andrew? You ever see a, 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 nice, a, a nice speckled rat running around in the wild? Oh, yeah, every day. I go out, I go out hunting for them. Right. Uh, but what really happens is you go to a pet store and you say, hey, I need a couple of rats. Right. Do you need them to look like rats that are actually in the wild? No. No. Give us the ones that look so much like pets that it's just real stupid. <sighs> but uh, Sophie manages to to get up into her room to find that bronze gun safe key where she hid it. Uh, but Jimmy catches her. And uh, tells her off, and they make their way to their gun safe, and they find it untouched by the looters. Uh, But inside, they do find an M16, a rifle, and a few handguns. Jimmy says they should stay at the house, but Sophie disagrees because, quote, they don't have running water in the house, and I forgot they had that spigot set up right there in the teepee, so. But as they're searching the rest of the house, Jimmy looks out the window and sees an armed group of men approaching. Who are these armed group of men? But Jimmy says, it's Robbie! Who's Robbie? Don't know. Movie doesn't tell us, but it's Robbie. So Jimmy goes and invites the group in. But don't worry, it's Robbie. I hate this movie. (laughs) You'll get there. It's Robbie, guys. It's fine. It's Robbie. In Robbie's group are two familiar faces. The first is Adam, Sophie's fiance. And you'd think after a month of being apart and hearing gunshots, the world collapse, they'd might give each other a passionate kiss. But they don't. And that's fine. It's a Christian movie. They probably didn't want the kids to have to kiss, whatever. They hug. But they make the mistake by saying, look, don't kiss, but I want you both to press your foreheads against each other. For a long time, which is real weird if you don't end that with a kiss. Yeah, that's just a well-known Saintsville tradition. <laughs> that's how they Four heads. people in Saintsville. 
Four heads that press together stay together. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. That's the Zanesville hello. <laughs> some, some places have a handshake. Some places have a hug. Not in Zanesville. <laughs> Good old-fashioned Zanesville forehead press. Greet each other with a holy headbutt. <laughs> That was, that was the funniest thing you've ever said on this podcast, Scott. Well, it's about time. Oh, shoot. So Adam's in this group, and the other familiar face is one of Jack's former goons, a bearded guy whose name I forget, but I'll call him Cowboy Hat because he wears a cowboy hat. Whew, gosh. <laughs> Jimmy asks Adam where their mother is, and they tell him that she was taken by another group. That's that's all they do. They don't they don't say where, how, who is this group. It's just oh she was taken. Okay, cool, got it. Moving on. Um, then, <laughs> that's a shame. <laughs> then Sophie notices that Adam's knife is covered in blood. It's at this point that Robbie butts in and says, unprompted, "Don't judge us. Our parents were killed just like yours." I'm just going to let that sit and stew for a while. Because <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Because one, Sophie doesn't say, hey, I'm judging you. She's saying, where's this blood coming from? Mm-hmm. That was the question. Are you hurt? Hey, Did you cut yourself? Hey, Scott. Scott, ask me, hey, where did that blood come from? Just real quick. I want, I want to show you how ridiculous this is. Hey, Zach. Yes, Scott. Where did the blood come from? Hey, don't judge me. Our, my parents were killed just like yours. <laughs> That's a shame. That Thanks seems- for the information. <laughs> Thanks for the information, Rob. <laughs> oh. Before we learn about the blood, they hear a noise upstairs. And Adam is handed a pistol from Jimmy so he can go and investigate. But before he goes upstairs, Adam cocks his gun and then unzips his hoodie just a little bit. This isn't important to the story at all. I just want you to know that the filmmakers thought that it was important for Adam to unzip his hoodie about three inches before heading upstairs. (laughs) (sighs) As Robbie goes upstairs, everyone downstairs suddenly starts talking like cowboys, just completely out of the blue. Remember, they're supposed to be from Zanesville, which is southern-ish Ohio, but not that southern. Mm -mm. There's not an accent in Zanesville. None of them have accents, but they start saying things like, y'all don't know what it's like out there. And they say it just like me. I have that you know, traditional Zanesville accent. They go, y'all don't know what it's like out there. And fetch that rifle from the kitchen island for me. And I reckon this ain't the first time you've been to my house. Why they start talking like that? Don't know, but they sure do. Upstairs, Adam discovers that the noise that they heard was Jack, who has just been apparently hiding in this closet for the past month. 
<laughs> Why didn't Jack pop out when it was just Sophie and Jimmy? It's a good question. He could have finished his business right then. No, but he had to wait till Robbie showed up. Robbie and the boys. <laughs> you know that famous 90s band, Robbie and the boys? Robbie and the boys. They spelled boys with a Z instead of an S. Uh, so yeah, Jack pops out. And Adam fires a shot at point-blank range directly at Jack's torso, but the bullet magically misses. Then Jack knocks Adam to the ground and then turns around and pushes the world's heaviest bedside table in front of the door so Robbie can't get in until the script says Robbie needs to get in. (laughs) At this point on the ground, Adam picks up a can of hairspray and sprays it at Jack who now has Adam's gun, and Jack fires the pistol at point-blank range directly at Adam's head, and the bullet magically misses, but the aerosol catches fire, because physics don't matter. (laughs) There had to have been a better way to do that. Yes, Scott. (laughs) At one point, after... This whole movie. Yeah. At one point, you know... When, 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 when Adam first aims the gun directly at the torso and it misses, Adam should have gone, what? Jimmy gave me a gun filled with blanks. <laughs> and then because Jack would have said, uh, maybe, only, maybe only the first one was filled with blanks. Let me try to shoot you in the head. Nope, that one missed too. This gun is filled with blanks. Maybe we shouldn't try to use the gun anymore. Nah, let's do it. Let's just keep trying to shoot each other with fake bullets that don't hit anything. Let me try to set you on fire. But Jack dodges the makeshift flamethrower and puts Adam into a perfectly executed armbar like he's a prize MMA fighter. <laughs> yeah, what? Wouldn't you think you're just trying to be knocked to knock him out? To hit him Scott. so hard that he couldn't Hang ever on regain consciousness? Here. Because as soon as the armbar happens... The movie just cuts inexplicably to Adam back on his feet. Continuity does not matter. Physics and continuity do not matter in this movie. Then Adam and Jack literally take turns doing a somersault over the bed that's in the room. (laughs) And then they just start kicking each other. I'm not joking. I watched this fight two times in the last few days. Not a single punch is thrown. But there's a lot of kicks. Then Jack kicks Adam in the chest and sends him flying at the wall. And then patiently waits for Adam to get back on his feet. And then, after Adam is set, and he's like, you good? And Adam's like, yeah, I'm good. He kicks Adam in the head. But Adam doesn't fall down that time. And at this point, Jack pulls a knife. And when Adam tries a kick of his own, Jack catches his foot and slices his leg. Then Robbie, at this point, manages to break a hole in the door that's being held by the smallest piece of furniture. And the hole's big enough to put a shotgun barrel through. But Jack sees that shotgun barrel, and Roundhouse kicks the barrel of the shotgun like he's Chuck Norris's second cousin. And the kick causes Jack to slip, and he's knocked out on a broken piece of glass. (laughs) Best part of the whole movie. You Literally, can't make they leave, this up. They leave Jack just there. Apparently, they don't tie him up, or you know, 
remove the threat. They just leave Jack there. As Adam is helped downstairs, where the awkward and weird vernacular continues. Sophie is asked if she can doctor Adam's wound. Scott, I have literally never heard somebody in Ohio say genuinely, Hey, you ought to get that cut doctored. No, I'm sorry, they speak in Ohio in accents too. Hey, you ought to get that cut doctored. While she is doing her doctoring, Cowboy Hat tells her out of the blue that Adam shot a little boy. <laughs> what? Why are you laughing at that? Because it's just so stupid. There's a, there's no reason for him to say that. She's just fixing his leg, and he's like, hey, he shot a little boy. <laughs> This, so this movie's so bad. <laughs> and Adam claimed self-defense, but Sophie isn't hearing it. She wants Robbie and his gang of murderers to leave, and that's when a nameless random redhead just comes out of nowhere and goes, Can't you let him heal for a second? He can't walk. We can't take him out there. So this random terrible actor says that. It's dumb. Uh, but she still wants uh, everybody out. And then the, the random terrible actor then goes, quote, Hey, can't I leave them some food in the mailbox in a week? What? Why? Why yes. did you why, why, yes, why did you, you say can. why did you say that? Why would you if they're hungry now, why would you leave them food in the mailbox a week from now? I, I, I try so hard to get the story straight when we do these things. I successfully explained the plot of Battlefield Earth, and this movie's beating me. <laughs> it's, it's crushing. Not only you, but all of us. And after they talk about leaving the food in the mailbox in a week, Robbie says another line completely unprovoked and out of the blue. And yes, it sticks out this incredibly awkwardly in the movie as well. Sophie's like, get out. Can I leave some food in the mailbox for a week? Robbie, look, Soph, your little dream of three meals a day and kids and bedtime prayers and rose-decorated wedding at a country club? Soph, it's over. Welcome to our worst nightmare. Is that your worst nightmare? <laughs> Not. <laughs> I feel like your life's pretty easy if your worst nightmare is not a rose-decorated wedding at the country club. But then Sophie says that she's trusting God, which again does not mean anything to this scene at all. And Robbie and the boys needs to get out. But Sophie does say that they'll take care of Robbie until he can walk again. You know, I'm kind of stuck on something here. Could you imagine though going to your going to your mailbox and like opening <laughs> it up? There'd some be, food in a week. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, in my mind, I'm just trying. You know, it'd be like a nice piece of cake in there. Or I want to maybe a T-bone <laughs> steak. I, I want to know who's still checking their mailbox at this point. <laughs> Well, I'm telling you why the food's going to start showing up. I'm going to get one. <laughs> uh, the next day, the kids bury their dad's month-old corpse. 
You laugh at the most horrific things. I know, and I don't want to laugh, but it's funny. <sighs> okay, so the next day, the kids bury their dad's month-old corpse. Keep <laughs> it without laughing. I need to get this because I don't want a laughing take as I say this. The next day, <laughs> I can't do it. You may have you may have to come back when you edit this and do it then. The next day, the kids bury their dad's month-old corpse. They go through his wallet and pull out their father's USCCA defense insurance card. And make no mistake, there's a reason why the camera stops on that for a good 15 seconds. And that's because this movie was funded by the United States Concealed Carry Association Insurance Company. USCCA, after you kill a man, the best self-defense is a legal defense. Act now for just $42 a month and you could be an elite member of the USCCA. I know what you're thinking, Scott. Every time I've killed a man, I dissolve the body in hydrofluoric acid and poured it down the drain. Well, Scott, what if I tell you that two out of five deadly shootings happen at night where the hardware store's closed and you're all out of acid? You hear sirens coming. But are you going to be able to afford the pricey defense attorney? I don't think so. You're nothing but a poor fat guy from Hicksville, West Virginia. But... With a USCCA membership, not only will you get legal help in the likely event that you shed blood, but for just $42 a month, you will receive a digital print subscription to Concealed Carry Magazine, which, as you know, is one of the magazines that deal with the subject of concealed carrying. Access to their catalog of information and educational videos, including situational awareness, when to use deadly force, the Proving Ground series of scenario-based training, mastering handgun confidence, armed and ready, and the Armed American Training Series. You also get access to their monthly webinar, Ask an Attorney, and you have access to USCCA's elite concierge line. What is that? No idea, but it's not for emergencies. But wait. There's more. If you act now, you'll receive a free survival kit, $155 value. What's in this survival kit? Well, I'm glad you asked, Scott. Everything comes packed in this beautiful USCCA survival kit pouch. And inside that pouch, you'll find an LED flashlight, an elastic tourniquet, a compact multi-tool, a heavy-duty tactical pen with a carbide tip, perfect for writing get off my lawn when those pesky census takers come around, two-in-one all-weather magnesium fire starter kit, paracord, Lightweight compass with dual scale roller, four inches Rayleigh band aid, which you want to make sure you keep separate from the 10 pack of Palestinian cleansing wipes, a dual chamber high frequency whistle, and a signal mirror. Again, that's USCCA membership club. Blow a hole in commies, not in your wallet. See full membership agreement, self-defense liability policy for details. All membership benefits are detailed, more fully in, and are subject to benefits, conditions, limitations, exclusions set forth in the USCCA membership agreement and self-defense liability policy. Fire and casualty insurance company, an insurance company with its principal place of business in Hudsonville, Michigan, covers coverage benefits are subject to the benefits, conditions, and exclusions of the insurance policy. Information provided herein is informal or is for informational purposes and not intended to be representation of the coverage that may exist in a particular situation. Contact Delta Defense customer engagement team with any questions. Zach and Rotten Rights podcast is not affiliated and are not being compensated by USCCA. This is for comedy. Even, even though Zach read most of the information off the USCCA's website work.
So yeah, they bury their dad. (laughs) (laughs) And Faith, who is still profusely bleeding (laughs) from a month-old head wound, asks someone to say something nice. Anna Lee, the family's living message Bible, pipes up and asks the dumbest question I have ever heard at someone's funeral. She asks, Hey, when our old green... (laughs) Hey... When our old green go-kart broke, were you sad? When Eli says no because Dad was going to buy them a new one, Anna Lee then says, well, with Dad, everything's new. What? That is the dumbest application I have ever heard in my life. Also, I should note that at some point in Annalise's speech, she also says, Dad's not looking up at us, he's looking down at us. And I agree, especially if he just heard that horrible eulogy. He is definitely looking down on you. It's okay to laugh, that was funny. That was a funny thing I just said. (sighs) You still with us, Beast? I'm here. Got anything you want to add? <laughs> Reliving this movie a second time is just as fun as it was the first time. Hey, I'm reliving this a third time, so. <laughs> I, I didn't even watch the thing. Zach gets upset if I don't watch movies till after the podcast. You're an idiot. <laughs> Anyways, <clears throat> what do a bunch of kids do after their father's funeral? You know, they have a little lighthearted gun control debate. Anna Lee starts off the conversation saying, Jesus told his disciples to buy a sword just for self-defense. She's referring to Luke 22 and verse 36, which does seem to show Jesus approving his followers to arm themselves for protection. But any credibility that this movie has in this argument is thrown out the window immediately when Jimmy says, yeah, he told them to buy two of them. That's not what Jesus said at all. The disciples after Jesus said maybe you should go get a sword, told Jesus that the group already had two swords. Twelve guys, two swords. Jesus said, that's enough. That's good. That's what verse 38 says. He didn't say, you need to go out and buy 14 swords and a couple assault swords. I don't know what an assault sword is. I think it's just a normal sword painted black that scares people. Stupid. (laughs) But, uh... (laughs) Uh, The old assault sword... But listen, I'm a proud supporter of the right to bear arms. I own guns. I legally conceal carry almost every day. But you can't t- make the argument that it isn't sinful to protect and arm yourself and your family when you use the Bible but butcher the passage that talks about it. It makes you come across as an ignorant and unreliable defendant of the Second Amendment or of the Second Amendment. Yes, use Luke 22:36 for for validation that you are able to protect yourself but don't say that jesus was saying hey you need to go into battle armed to the teeth you need to walk around like rambo the evangelizing door knocker (laughs) can you imagine rambo out evangelizing knocking those doors my head right now (laughs) hello have you have you heard about Jesus or Lord and Savior? What? I'm sorry. Oh, Adrian! Wrong movie. Wrong movie. <laughs> oh, have you heard about Jesus or Lord and Savior? What language are you speaking? Are you okay? Are you having a stroke? No, I'm not having a stroke. 
I mean, what about Jesus one one? I never can put anybody in <laughs> So yeah, I'm I'm sorry, but this movie's constant preachiness comes across as nothing more but lip service. And it's not aimed towards real Christian Americans, but the ignorant masses that watch this film and thinks that the Bible says you should go around with a mo- mounted machine gun on the hood of your Hummer. Asinine or not, I'm Andy Rooney, and that's my thoughts. Um, <laughs> Asinine or not, Anna Lee and Jimmy's speech works, and Sophie apologizes for stealing the bronze gun safe key. The next morning, Jimmy jumps off a log with a spear and kills a deer. <laughs> yeah, why did they not use a gun? I don't know. How many rounds did they waste to shoot okay. him off? Well, no, he, they, I, I understand that because we can't waste the rounds. I have seen in that teepee no less than five bows and arrows. <laughs> I'm sorry, but the idea that Jimmy, who is probably the worst character ever put on screen, had the ability, the dexterity... And the finesse to get close enough to a deer to spear it to death. We ain't buying it and they shouldn't have been selling it. I just... I honestly don't think whoever made this movie has seen a deer. (laughs) Or has been around a deer. I... I just, it just makes me sad. Uh, Jimmy's got the best line in the movie, I think. He's got my favorite line. Which one's that one? He gets told to trust in God, and he says, they're just words. You can't eat them. You can't load them in a gun and shoot them. That's right. And then best line in the movie. Yeah, and then he asks for evidence. And Sophie says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. (laughs) Okay. Look, and you you couldn't get a powerhouse line like that without Jimmy there setting it up. Okay, so yeah, next morning he kills a deer with a spear. That may just be the stupidest thing in a list of stupid things in this movie. But after eating the deer, Sophie and Adam, who is at the moment hobbling around on the world's largest crutch. (laughs) I'm not even kidding. They got like a full-grown tree trunk. And they're like, here's your crutch. They should actually put that in the Smithsonian just because. No, they shouldn't. It's Um, just absurd. They should put it in Smith's Onion Museum I got which is just down the street from Washington, D.C., and it's by an illiterate named Smith who thinks the word only is onion. (laughs) Hi there, I'm Pappy Smith. (laughs) Come on down to Smith's Onion Museum, I got. (laughs) Come see the log that they used as a crutch in a terrible movie that nobody saw. 
But uh, yeah, they're they're having a conversation about their their future. And at this point, Sophie's just being unreasonably angry that her fiance is a child murderer. I mean, he did ask for forgiveness. I, so instead of loving the kid killer, the cold-hearted Sophie just hands back her engagement ring. Did it make you a little sad? No, it didn't. Because if why Kelsey, haven't they used that to try and? Why haven't they used that to barter with at this point? And the world's the world's falling apart. Dude, They're having to get food in their mailbox. Why has she not used her engagement ring to buy something already? Yeah. You're talking about a group of kids that are so stupid that they've been camped in the woods a hundred feet from their house for a month <laughs> as murderous looters are running around. Well, listen, when you don't have, when you don't have running water in your house, you can't stay inside, so <laughs> you have to go live in the woods in the teepee. <laughs> she could have bought a tent with that engagement ring. She could have. But I'm just really mad that nobody put a tent in their bug out bag. They had a trailer that was prepped and ready to go. Because Dr. Rick was a was an, also a disaster prepper. He was prepped and ready to go with his little trailer. There wasn't a tent in that thing? <laughs> the next day, after eating the stabbed deer that he killed with a spear... Some looters get close to Sophie and Faith as they're out for a walk. This close encounter leads to another NRA gun safety seminar as Jimmy teaches Eli how to shoot. Eli's told things like, shoot to defend, aim for the heart. Which is good advice, because did you know that if you shoot someone in self-defense and they don't die, they can sue you? (laughs) Yes, I did know that. However, if they would change that law to you cannot sue someone who shoots you in self-defense, that's the common sense gun law we need. Don't You can't sue somebody that shoots you in self-defense. Then maybe that would encourage us legally, law-abiding, responsible gun owners not to aim for the head when somebody's coming at us. Uh, but then Jimmy says they need to move on. And that opinion is reinforced that night when someone sneaks into their teepee and takes their bug out bags and Jimmy's box of trinkets. And so for their safety, the kids decide to move. And as they're moving, Jimmy's lack of faith is showing. But he zips his pants up and hides it. (laughs) What? Jimmy, your lack of faith is showing nowhere. (laughs) 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 Okay. At this point, Jimmy is being honest with himself. He just wants to know why God is allowing these bad things to happen. Why the world has been allowed to fall to pieces. And instead of giving him evidence or making actual scriptural applications... Sophie just starts reciting fear good pa- or feel good Bible verses that do not help answer his question whatsoever. And guys, Jimmy's struggle with faith is so serious. You want to know how serious it is? I know it's serious because he carves the word why on a tree with a knife. I always know whenever I'm dealing with serious problems, I get my knife. 
go out and find me a tree, I carve words into it. However, this argument about faith does leave Sophie back to that child murderer Adam's arm for comfort because, and quote Sophie, we're losing him. Well, you might not be losing him if you did something other than quote one of those terribly cheesy daily devotional books at him. Meanwhile, Big Bad Jack finally makes it back to the teepee. He sees a headband that the girls left behind and starts tracking the kids expertly. They've been in the same spot for over a month. <laughs> but he's just now getting around to tracking them. That night, we're treated to a dream sequence where Sophie is dreaming of her wedding day to that child killer, Adam. I say it's that, but really, I don't know who the singer is. There's this African-American singer singing a beautiful Christian ballad. But it, it's basically a music video for whoever that singer is. Because they yeah. focus on her way more than they focus on the characters of this movie. She is and a beautiful singer. And she's able to sing a whole song. This movie has a two hour long runtime. 15 minutes of that two hour was whatever this song she was singing. And then in the dream, Cowboy shows up and just blows Adam away. And Sophie wakes up to actual gunfire. Jack and his boys finally caught up with them and a fight breaks out. It ends with Jack stabbing Adam in the neck and young Eli shooting another hoodlum. But Adam does manage to put Jack in an arm bar. <laughs> you know what would make this movie better? A lot less Krav Maga? If in either one of the arm bar scenes, if somebody would have tapped out i just want to know who in the world outside of the octagon would know how to do that literally in a fight after being stabbed in the neck yeah right i mean throw a punch pick up a gun throw a rock no this movie wants us to believe that they're all doing kicks and and karate that's the world they live in <laughs> Nobody's ever thrown a punch, but they do the Zanesville goodbye and also know how to execute perfect arm bars. So and dumb. The, the same people that roundhouse kick shotguns out of people's hands in the next moment slip, fall, hit their head, and die. On a carpeted floor on a piece of glass. Yes. And pass out. Yeah. So dumb. <laughs> so, Jack is tied up by Jimmy. And Jimmy finds his trinket box in Jack's pack. But, the, but a lock of blonde hair that he keeps in there is apparently missing. And I thought, oh no, Jimmy's a sociopath. But I was like, yeah. I'm kid I, come on, Zach, he stabbed a deer with a spear. He, you've known this. But uh, he asked Jack about the blonde hair. And Jack said he threw it away because he thought it was junk. He kept the box and all the other random bric-a-brac, but he wanted that hair out. Threw the hair out. It turns out that this blonde hair belonged to a little girl named Becca, who was Jimmy's twin sister. And he got this hair when he and Becca were about four, and Jimmy caught Becca cutting her own hair. Jimmy comes in and takes the scissors and cuts a chunk of Becca's hair, saying that he fixed it. Then he says he's going to go and put the scissors away and get Becca's hat. Then, for absolutely no reason, Jimmy sees Dr. Rick's pistol 
in the doctor's ankle holster while he is taking a nap. The four-year-old manages to dislodge the Velcro holding the gun in place and yank several times on this pistol holster without waking Rick. And for no reason at all, he just shoots Becca in the head. I mean, guys, her haircut wasn't that bad. It would grow back. I, I just, this, I wanna, this scene I, right listen, here. I want to take it seriously because I got a little kid, you know? I don't yeah. like seeing kids dying, but it's so ridiculous. It, it's so stupid. I I don't understand how they go from. I mean, they're they're cutting each other's hair as little kids, right? To just that's believable. To yeah. just to just I'm gonna grab this gun and shoot you in the face. <laughs> you want to know why? Because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. None. There's absolutely no reason for this to happen. There's a thousand different ways, because that happens all the time, for an accidental shooting to happen. This movie manages to find the one way where it's not plausible. <laughs> it's just, it's so dumb. All uh, right, so back to reality. Oop, there goes gravity. Oop, there goes rabbit. He choked. <laughs> so it's back to the lab again, yo. I think we all just lost ourselves in the music in the moment. You know, I probably should never let <laughs> In reality, Jimmy's all upset because he lost his hair. And he blames God for everything bad that happens. And then Jimmy wants to take Jack's life in revenge. But then Jack overhears that the youngest girl's name is Faith. And he changes his whole grumpy tune. Because he lost his faith when the new faith was born. And she says, really, the question that I need to start asking people who come forward and are sad on Sundays. He's like, I just keep doing bad things. And then Faith, the smartest one in this whole movie, goes, well, why don't you stop? (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty simple. Uh, but then uh, Faith forgives him for shooting her dad and then says a really mellow, dramatic prayer. And then Jack tells them a story about their dad on the day of the riot. And you think to yourself, okay, it can't be any worse than the last flashback we just saw where a little girl got murdered because of a haircut. Challenge accepted. They do take the challenge. Turns out that on the day of the riot, when the movie first opens, Rick saved Jack's life at the gun shop from a bunch of riders that were just beating him up for no reason and then gave Jack a ride. In the car, Jack got, or Jack found Rick's address by stealing an envelope from Rick's truck. Once he has the address, Jack tells Rick to let him out. And then Jack calls someone. And I don't know why I find this phone conversation so funny, but I do. Because Jack tells someone over the phone, quote, Hey, I need a ride. I'm by the tracks. Change of plans. Bring the gear. We're going to make a house call. And in my mind, I added a whole bunch of stuff to that. And that's what made me laugh. But first, we're going to stop. 
grab a burger and some fries. <laughs> Maybe take a nap. Change our clothes. See a movie. Play some putt-putt. Go fishing. Then take a walk. I mean, it's just the dumbest... All, all they had to do was, hey, I need a ride. I'm by the tracks. We know what you're doing. We know you're planning on killing killing Rick. But no, they, the movie thinks we're so dumb that they literally have to play, spell out the entire conversation. And what, conver- what what is the conversation that they're having here? Because I'm trying to put, I'm trying to think, what is the other guy saying? Hey, I need a ride. Okay, uh, where you at? I'm by the tracks. Oh, that's cool. I'll come and get you. Change of plans. I didn't even know we had plans. Break the gear. What? What are you talking about? I need some help. What? What are we doing here? Uh, we're gonna make a house call. What are you talking about? It's just. <laughs> <laughs> then, after another meaningless flashback, I'm not even gonna waste your time talking about. Sophie decides that they should spare Jack's life. Now the tension of the situation is broken, as Adam, in his dying breaths, asks Sophie to marry him because. His death will not be tragic enough for this poor woman. So, yeah, Sophie says yes, puts her ring back on, and then about six seconds, she's real sad. But she gets over him pretty quick. Uh, Because Jimmy is distracted by Adam's death and turns to just shoot Jack, but Jack has escaped. Jimmy chases after Jack, much to the protests of his siblings, but they don't have time to worry about Jack leaving because their teepee suddenly catches on fire. And they lose everything. And they're all really sad about this for about six seven, for about six seconds, but they get over it pretty quick when their mom just magically appears. Because she apparently Voila. saw the smoke for the teepee. <laughs> okay. And she should have. I mean, they were only like six steps out of the yard. My question is, all right, this mom was apparently traveling... Uh, with these two twin deputies, who we'll talk about in just a second, since this whole thing started. Jimmy went with Robbie and the boys. She went with the twins. Neither Jimmy nor the mom thought, I wonder if they're staying in a teepee in our front yard. <laughs> For a month. (laughs) I just... And then the best part is, I just remembered this. When they're packing up to leave, Faith goes, but mom told us to stay here. Mm Mm-hmm. So there was a plan that if anything ever happened, they got separated, they were to meet. In your front yard. At that spot. And the mom, who's been looking for her kids for a month, didn't go, huh, I wonder if they're staying at that spot I told them to stay at. (laughs) If anything ever happens, don't leave here. I'll get there as soon as I can. She totally forgot. One month later. (laughs) (laughs) Remember that one time I said to my kids? So, yeah, the mom shows up and she's traveling with two twin deputies who cannot act their way out of a paper bag named Dave and Jace. They're real twins, and I have never seen two people who shared a womb have less chemistry. (laughs) they're real twins but I do not believe by their acting that they're actually twins they look like they talk to each other like they've never met each other before 
yeah, they're trying to roast each other, and it's doesn't it's uncomfortable. It's bad. It's real bad. Smash cut to Jimmy running through a field. Big old wide field. So wide. But of course he steps in a bear trap. (laughs) (laughs) There is literally a mile on one side of the bear trap. A mile on the other side of the bear trap. Nothing to funnel him to the bear trap. But that's where he steps. And it turns out that... uh, it was Robbie and the boys that set this bear trap along with old Cowboy Hat. And Cowboy Hat just shoots Robbie immediately to show Jimmy that he's really a bad guy. But before Cowboy Hat can kill Jimmy, Sophie shoots him with a sniper rifle. And then Jack comes out of the woods carrying a bunch of stolen gear. By this time, the deputy and the the mom have got to to Jimmy. And uh, Jack comes out in one hand. He's got a big bag. In the other hand, he's got a a bow. He's got a bow. And everyone acts like this bow is actually a grenade. (laughs) Because they're like, drop the bow! It's like, I do not have an arrow knocked and my other hand is filled. Drop it! I I can't hurt anybody with it. Drop it! so stupid it's so stupid Uh, and after a while Sophie and the rest of the kids forgive Jack but the twins take him into custody for murder later Jack is feeling hopeless and confused about how everyone forgave everyone and the twins are just like hey bud why not come to Jesus and then they say a little prayer and I'm like, okay, here it is. Another one of these faith-based yep. movies ending with the sinner prayer. Yep. And I listen to the prayer. And it's not a prayer. It's not the sinner's prayer. It's actually a prayer of repentance. And then they baptize Jack. Followed by Jimmy. And I am shocked. Floored. I'm like, I whoa. the same exact thing you did. Sinner's I'm prayer. Like, here it is. And I'm like, no, they kind of did it right. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, fine. You know what? They can end it here, and I'll give them a good score in the, the faith column, but everything else is going to be garbage. But, you know, at least they did this. But then they add on one more scene just because they're like, hey, Zach, I know you thought that this was a good part, but let me ruin it real quick. They're gathered around a fire where they roundhouse kick any credit they just built up at the previous scene. And then the movie slipped on the carpet and broke, (laughs) passed out when its head hit a piece of glass. And I just want to recite this final scene word for word, dear, or word for word, dear listeners, so you know my pain. Twin one, Jack may be saved, but he needs some deodorant right now. Jack, I thought that was you. Twin two to everyone. You guys are hogging the fire. Anna Lee, and her only line in this movie that is not a horribly butchered Bible verse, I'm not Sharon. And they all laugh. Eli, what's it like out there? Twins. It's chaos. It's anarchy. But here's the good part. 
Our city is one of the few islands of light in a nation full of darkness. And now our city is actually one of the only places successfully resisting tyranny and disarmament. Paul's the scene there. <laughs> Who is trying to disarm the people? The government fell. You know what you need to resist tyranny? A tyrannical person. An anarchy, by definition, doesn't have a tyrant. It's like they got... It's like they got Jeb Bush's campaign rally speech. Clap, and just, please. And just picked random words out of it and made it into a sentence. It's like they did a right-wing Mad Lib and filled in words with, like, anarchy and light and tyranny and disarmament and said, hey, does this make sense? Don't worry about it. Anyways, back to the scene. Faith, who is seven. She's seven years old, guys. Remember that, because this is important. Because she asked the question, is there hope? For our nation, I mean? <laughs> you think the thoughts of a seven-year-old may be a little deeper than... Uh... No, I don't think a seven-year-old would ever say the word, is there hope for our nation, I mean? Is there hope for our nation, I mean? To which Jimmy says, and this is the last line of this movie, if God can fix me and Jack, he can do anything. Before we move, bring this movie to a close, Andrew, yes. I, I need you to make me a promise. If there, okay. ever, if there ever comes a time in our lives when Zanesville, Ohio becomes the only beacon of light in a country ruled by chaos, I want you to find me and shoot me. Because I will not want to live in that world. Regardless if that happens to Zanesville or not, uh, Andrew and I will be down next Tuesday. Um, <laughs> the end. That's the end of the movie. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Here on the Rotten or Righteous podcast, <laughs> we rate movies using our patent pended or patent bending, rather, sep scale, which is a transliteration of a Greek word, which means stinky snake. But we use it as an acronym. S-E-P-S. -S. We rate our movies on scriptural accuracy, entertainment value, parental control, and should you actually watch it. We give each one of those rank or each one of those categories a ranking out of twenty-five, and then we average it up out of a hundred for individual scores, and then we average that all together for a letter grade. So, without further ado, Andrew, you watched this this thing. Um, how how would you say the scriptural accuracy is? Uh, until until the very end with the repentance and baptism 
it would have gotten absolute zero from me because they cherry-picked scriptures and completely misapplied them. Um, I don't even really know that you can say that the repentance and baptisms, re- baptism was an application of scripture because they didn't really quote any of it. It just happened. Um, but what, it's out of 25? I guess I'll give them a 5 out of 25 for that, okay. for getting that right unexpectedly. Um, I gave it a 10. 10. Same reasons. I, you know, um, there was so much misapplication. And I, I found so many times in the movie, I found the timing of what was being said not to go along with with the i mean go along with where it needed to be so there was issues with it and it's again like like andrew said you just kind of pick and choose stuff and you're like taking everything and throwing it against the wall to see what'll stick yeah i i think i the reason i wouldn't even score it that high is because of the continuous trust in god Mm -hmm. misapplication as though if you trust in god that means everything works out well for you and you know, I think we we yeah, know plenty well that that's not true, uh, not in this life anyway. But yeah, I it just it's just bad. Yeah, I, I agree with you that it's misapplied. But I think they were trying to get across the thing that uh, the truth of the matter, and that is, you can trust in God, and it's not that everything will work out for what is good, but everything will work out in the end. It's kind of like there is one line that was halfway decent and I'm going to go home and thoroughly punish myself for saying that but uh there's one line where Jimmy's throwing a fit about everybody being dead and she or and Sophie asks the question it's not about what God has taken away or, but uh, or why did God take these people away but why is God letting us stay here it's not so much a matter of why is my life terrible. It's trusting in God is, okay, my life is terrible. Let me try to figure out how to be a light in the world despite my circumstances. They don't get that point across at all. <laughs> but I think that's what they set out to do. And for that reason, I'm giving it a one simply because of the bat- baptism scene. A one. Okay, next one, entertainment value. Andrew, were you entertained? Um, depending on how we define entertained, uh, I laughed not because things were funny, but because they were bad. Um, you know, it's sort of like saying a train wreck is entertaining to watch when it happens. It's really not entertaining, but you can't stop watching you're just kind of drawn to it same thing driving past a car accident it's not entertaining but you still find yourself looking to see and i think that's sort of what this movie was i want to play devil's advocate just real quick what if it was a car accident involving two small mini coopers filled with clowns (laughs) really (laughs) i guess the, the glitter and all that everywhere it would be Make it it'd be a strange juxtaposition. Um, so your your argument is there. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, your argument is there. It would be hard not to be entertained by that. I'm just saying. He said not that car accidents are entertaining. I agree, except when clowns are involved <laughs> and Mini Coopers. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it wasn't entertaining at all. It wasn't a movie where I was like, man, I'm glad I watched this. This was a lot of fun. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to give it... I'm going to give it a one on entertainment value because I wished I would have taken Zach's advice and watched, watched it at 1.5 <laughs> speed instead of regular. I still think it probably would have been excruciating. Um, oh, man. Yeah, I'm giving it a one. Scott, how about you? Were you entertained? No. I, I tell you what. I <laughs> the, struggle, the struggle I have is like I, I've got – I just uh, – at times I just have such a hard time maintaining with the movie. Cause it's like, this is brutal. I can, I don't know watch paint dry. I can go roll down my hill or something. I don't, I gave it a one. Also, it can was, you please, it, it was can you rough. Please roll down your hill. Hey, listen, whenever I do, there will be video. I, I hope so. I would watch that more willingly than I watch this. Yeah, you're not a kid. And can you send me the raw footage so that way I can edit it and make it look like the boulder from Indiana Jones? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Great. I can't wait. Um, yeah. Uh, listen, there's bad movies that I've enjoyed. Off the top of my head, Joseph Maisie Killer Green Dreamcoat. I was entertained by that. Um, Battlefield Earth was one of those great so bad it's good movies. I know Scott and, and Luke didn't agree with me, but I, I found it very entertaining. Uh, Borrowed Christmas was terrible, but it was entertaining enough that we talk about it nearly every week. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there are some movies out there that are so bad that they're good. This isn't it. It's not good. Every twist they give away within five minutes, it makes no sense. They don't take the time to set up the actual catastrophe. They live in a teepee. It's bad. One. Parental control. Scott, did you see some things in here that you wouldn't want to watch with your grandma? Wouldn't want to watch with my grandma. Wouldn't want to watch with my kids. Yeah, there was some there was some pretty violent stuff that was in here. Um uh, I gave it, I, I gave it a one on that also. It just, it's, I don't know. To me, it's hard because the movie's so bad that it makes any kind of violence look even worse. Yeah. You know, we've watched, we've watched violent movies that everything has been so good in it. It's like, okay, I understand how that's a part of it. Like when we watched the gladiator, um, you know, it was hard to ding that so much, but this, I, I feel like I'm punishing it for other areas with this, but I gave it a one. Okay. Andrew, how about you? Uh, I didn't think it was, I mean, the violence is, is one thing, but I think if you're going to watch any sort of relative action movie today, that you're going to get violence. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't watch it with a little kid. I would watch it with my grandma. She's an adult. Uh, I, I give it a five on on that. You know, there's there's enough censorship, I guess, where they they tone things back, like you said. You know, the the Zanesville hello, that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but I, I I get what you're saying, but there's such a thing as so much censorship that it takes you out of the movie. 
you know, yeah, but that's Beyonce, not a bad thing with this movie. Well, that's what I'm saying though. Like, it's unbelievable to think that a fiance or, or two fiancés are separated from each other for a month, and when they see each other, they don't kiss. That doesn't make right. sense. That's not how real world works. So yeah, it's weird that that's not in there, and it takes you out of the movie. And look, there's there's movies out there where the violence is necessary. If this made a good case for, uh, you know, uh, gun or, or for gun rights and a good case for why we should have guns to protect our families and stuff, and they added the violence in there, I wouldn't have a problem with it. But they don't do that. They make a really bad case to say not uh, seriously. If I was if I was somebody that was on the other side of the fence of the gun control issue, I would use this movie and say, "Look, 100%. look at look at what they made. You trust these people with guns? Look what they did. Look mm-hmm. at it. It's bad. They murdered our brains, and now we're going to give them the weapons to murder our bodies. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to give it a one two, not a one two, just a one as well." And then finally, should you watch? Is there any merit to it? Are you happy that you watched it, Scott? No, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I'm really not. And I don't think I would refer it to anybody. I don't think I would say to anybody, "You got to watch this," because even some bad movie like uh, uh, Borrowed Christmas, I would. There are some people I'd tell to go watch that, but this one, I, I just—it's two hours of precious life. Giving it a zero. Okay, you gave it a one. You you have to give it a one. It's one to twenty. Oh, I thought we could go zero on these. No, that was just okay. one special occasion where you cried and I felt bad. Oh, um, okay. Andrew. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's a one for me too. Um, this is the it was the epitome of what you would, uh, sort of what the caricature of conservative Christian America is and and what they believe and what they want you know it's sort of the uh for lack of a a better term gun porn christian movie you know um i think we got our episode title (laughs) (laughs) gun porn (laughs) gun porn um but no you know like you said zach if you're on the other side of the fence this is the this is what I would use in pamphlets. This is what I would use to stereotype Christians as. This is what I would use to stereotype gun owners with. And not just like look what they made, but you know just every sort of idiotic blind faith gun-toting redneck christian caricature this is what that is and it has zero value when it comes to to watching it you know the just i don't know what it was made on like a five thousand dollar budget that all went to brian bosworth and just it's just bad it's a one there are good movies out there that give the give the uh, Second Amendment argument or support the Second Amendment argument much much better than this one. I'm yeah. like like look at anything that Clint Eastwood has directed 
in like the last 10 years. He's come out with yep. great movies. Not, not, I wouldn't recommend them to the church, but, you know, great movies that show mm-hmm. reality why having guns protect yourself is, is needed. Um, yeah, this is... The sad thing is, is people... The people that made this tried really hard to make a movie that painted them in the right light, and it's sad that they turned it into joke or into a joke, and they don't even see it. I'm gonna give it a one too. Again, one as well. So I gave it a four. <laughs> I gave it a thirteen, and I gave it a twelve. Beast gave it a twelve. Okay, so I don't even need Scott to average this out. Uh. A- According to our Rotten or Righteous grade scale, uh, the final letter grade for The Reliant <laughs> is... Like you didn't a, even show up to class. It's like a 7, uh, which is an F-, minus. Uh, by like 40 points, it's an F-. minus. <laughs> Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's an F-, minus, and as always, we use Carleton University's grade scale. Uh, go Ravens. Cacall. That was a suave <laughs> raven. <laughs> okay. Well, that is going to do it for this week's episode of Run Righteous. As always, my name is Zach Geiler. I'm Scott Judge. I'm Andrew Beasley. It's great to be here. You ruined it. Before we go. Hi, Joseph Smith. Before we go, Scott, there's this teacher. Yes, Zach. There's this teacher who asked little Johnny, hey, if I give you two cats and another two cats and another two cats, how many would you have? Johnny said, seven. The teacher goes, no, Johnny, listen carefully. If I gave you two cats and another two cats and another two cats, how many would you have? Johnny says, seven. Okay, okay, Johnny. Um, look, let me put it to you differently. Uh, if I gave you two apples and another two apples and another two apples, how many would you have? Johnny said, six. Good, okay, great. Now, if I gave you two cats and another two cats and another two cats, how many would you have? Johnny goes, seven. Teacher goes, Johnny, where in the heck do you get seven from? And Johnny says, because I already got a cat. <laughs> Hey, hey, Zach. Yeah. If you met someone that had a fear of giants, what would you diagnose them as having? Gigantophobia? Fee-fi-phobia. Ha ha. (laughs) Good night, everybody. See, I've heard of a Sawbones, but never a cut doctor. Although... Cut point. That was a dumb one. Um, ah, Sawbones, Civil War. Is that... Uh, <laughs> first... You can't just say things like that! <laughs> sure That's you so can, dumb. I just did! That's so dumb! Ah, Speculum! Korea! Speculum? What? Hey! <laughs> <laughs> In boxing... Hey, Scalpel! In boxing, hundred years war. As, they referred to <laughs> as cut doctors. Remember when Rock said, "Cut me, man, cut me." 
Yeah, they're cut doctors. Cut doctors, right. yeah. So now we verify there is a Sawbones and a cut doctor. No, you said Sawbones, then nothing else, and then Civil War. And you expected that to just, yeah, everyone tracks. Everyone gets it. Uh, Civil War, Sawbones. That was what they called Doctor. <laughs> yep, keep Civil saying War. those two words, or four words. You're making it so much clearer. <laughs> Sawbones. Scott, can you explain Sawbones, Civil War? Yeah, you know, Civil War. Sawbones. Civil War. Got Sawbones. it. Thanks, buddy. That's what Appreciate doctors it. were called because of all the amputations. They called them a Sawbones. My grandmother used to refer to her doctor as Sawbones. The old okay. Sawbones. Yeah. That literally has nothing to do with the fact that they asked Sophie to doctor Adam's wound. Cut doctor. Oh my God. <laughs> I saw a squirrel, Zach. I decided to chase it. 